So, uh, if you've been with us this summer, our summer series is coming to an end today. This is uh, the series that we've been in called Apprenticing the Master. And the idea is that we are actually, as Christians, we're not just people who believe a certain thing and, and raise our hand when tell people that we're Christians. Um, that to be a follower of Jesus is to actually be an apprentice of Jesus. And we talked in the first week of this series about what discipleship looked like for first century uh, people following rabbis and being disciples of rabbis. But in our uh, context, we don't talk about discipleship outside of the church. We talk about apprenticeship. We talk about like people becoming like master electricians, people becoming master potters and artists, that there are apprenticeships where you follow your teacher and you try to emulate them as much as possible. And you try to talk like them and, and think like them and act like them and do the things that they do with the care and the skill that they do it with. And so that that is actually what we are as Christians, is we are apprentices of Jesus. We're saying that beyond everything else and in through everything else that we are called to in this life, that we experience in this life, that it is actually apprenticing our master, Jesus, that is the driving force of our life, that I'm trying to stay, get and stay as close to him as possible to emulate him in his words, in his deeds, in his thoughts, and in, in, in everything about him. I am trying to become as much like him as possible. So each week we've kind of taken and broken this down into, uh, we'll call it bite-sized uh, practices that make us like Jesus, that shape us to become like Jesus in our everyday lives. And so this last week, um, we're talking about the mission of God. We are talking about apprenticing the master in evangelism and discipleship. And so now you see the connection of why I asked you about door-to-door -door sales. Um, Jesus left us with a mission. You know, there's, there's this growth in relationship with God that is always happening. We are always becoming more like God. We're always becoming more enthralled with God. We're increasingly knowing who he is, and that's increasing our worship for him. We're increasingly becoming aware of how much he loves us and how perfectly he loves us, and that is increasing our worship and love for him. But there's also this outward-facing component. Like, we could do all that in heaven with him forever, but the reason that we are still here is because there is an outward component of this whole thing that is the mission of God that Jesus gives at the end, uh, most expressly at the end of Matthew's gospel where he says, as you are going about the life that I have called you to, make disciples. The way that you are discipling me, I want you to help other people be my disciples as well. Baptizing them, so... For uh, many of those people, they are not going to be people who already know God. So there's going to be a process, a point in the process where you are helping them come to know God for the first time and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. All these things that I'm giving you for life, I want you to turn around and give those to these other people that I'm putting in your life. And so this, this twin mission of evangelism and discipleship is this thing that we've been called to, and we are fooling ourselves if we're saying that we are disciples of Jesus and we don't ever think about evangelism or discipleship. Now, I'm going to say this. Raise your hand if you have some bad tapes or some baggage with the word evangelism. Okay, many of us. Um, I certainly do. And so um, this is very important because this very thing that we were made for, um, now we have these wrong understandings of what this is because of what we've seen modeled by other people uh, or maybe what we've even allowed those people to lead us into and, and do to other people. Um, but really, 
evangelism and discipleship are the same thing. In both of these things, we are coming alongside another person with love for Jesus and love for them, and we are helping them know him more, helping them enter into or continue into relationship with Jesus because that is where life and health are found. So, um, most of the time, we are living out of these misconceptions of what it is to engage in evangelism and discipleship. We believe that I have to initiate, I have to make something happen in my own power, that it's forced, that it's unnatural, that it all depends on me. I have to say the right things or else something's not going to happen that it's a one-size-fits-all formulaic presentation where I do all of the talking and that I have to be somebody different than who I am now, that I have to be better, I have to know more, I have to be more holy than I am today. And y'all, all of that is garbage. All of that are just these lies and misconceptions that are being perpetrated by the enemy. And so, uh, if I can call our scripture reader up. All right, Tracy. Um, We're going to be in John chapter 4, and we are going to watch. Remember, we're apprentices, so we are going to watch our master, Jesus, engage in evangelism and discipleship with this Samaritan woman at the well. John 4, 1 through 26, 28 through 30, 34 through 36. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, 
For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tracy. Father, we come to you today, and uh, because of our condition, because of our limited sight, um, we, we cannot see anything, we cannot know anything about you unless you first come and open our eyes and open our mind and open our hearts. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that today, that our vision of you would not be limited by our limitations, but that you would come and pull back those limitations and allow us to see and experience you and worship you deeper and more truly than we ever have before, and that it would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> here in this story, again, we're just we're coming alongside Jesus here, and um, the first thing that's true about evangelism and discipleship is that it is spirit-led from start to finish. The first six verses of this passage uh, talks about how Jesus was leaving one place and going to another place and that he had to go through Samaria. Well, the reality is he didn't have to go through Samaria. That was not a, a geographic necessity. In fact, most Jews avoided Samaria because of this rift that's there. And just for our purposes, all you need to know really is that um, long, long time ago before these days, uh, there was a rift and the kingdom was split and now there was this, the people that would now be Samaritans, they began to worship God in a different way because they were divorced from Jerusalem and where the temple was and the Jews. So we basically have like these two groups that were sprung up and Jews looked down on uh, Samaritans because they were not true followers of God. They did not worship God where it said they were supposed to worship God and all these things. And so Jews just uh, looked down on Samaritans uh, very much. And so uh, I heard one pastor say one time, and I think it's probably accurate to help us get an understanding of that. It was probably like uh, white people interacting with black people in the South in the you know, time of segregation. 
is that you're around, but uh, there's this looking down, there's like, we're not equal. Um, and so there's this, there's also this thing with uh, men and women in this culture too, that men were, were not to be found talking to women who are not their wives in public. And so we have this, um, Jesus saying, I have to go through Samaria. And so what we know is that the spirit was working in Jesus's life and he was also working in this woman's life. We don't get the details, but we know this from all the other things we know in scripture is that the spirit was leading Jesus to this place, to this woman. Now, what, what it could have looked like is um, in prayer, God is speaking to Jesus and saying, um, I want you to go through this town. Or it may have even been as simple as, I want you to go this direction as you go to this next place. And so as, as Jesus is going, maybe more information came to him. Hey, there's going to be a woman. Hey, there, you, I want you to go to this well. We don't know. But Jesus finds himself at this well. And we also know that no one can come to the Lord unless God draws him or her. And so we know that the, the Lord had been working in this woman's life. So it wasn't just that Jesus was like, all right, whoever is going to be at this well, I'm going to make sure that they come to faith because that's not how it works. Um, God has to be working in this person to create this opportunity. And so the Holy Spirit is at work. And our role, just like Jesus in this passage, is to figure out and listen and put our radar up and say, I'm available and I want to be a part of this mission. Who are you leading me to? Where do you want me to go? When do you want me to say something? When do you want me to not say anything? Who, who are you putting on my heart to pray for? And so Jesus comes and he has to go through Samaria, this town in Samaria, because the Spirit is calling him here. And when this woman appears, she's already been prepared for this moment by the Holy Spirit. And so it says, Romans 8, 14, all of this is not because it's Jesus, that he is, has these um, magical powers that we somehow don't have. He was following the Holy Spirit that lives inside every one of his people, every one of us. Uh, Romans 8.14 says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So that same Holy Spirit is working in us. And remember what Jesus said at the beginning of this whole series, um, take my yoke upon you, it is easy and light. We don't have to make anything happen. We just have to be available and be willing and wanting to be a part of this. And the Lord is going to do amazing things in and through us, things that we would never imagine because they're not in our power. We aren't able to do them, but he's doing them through us. And so part of Jesus's preparation for this moment also is his weakness. And that's the second thing that's true about evangelism and discipleship is that our honesty, our need, our weakness, our frailty is not an inhibitor. It's actually a door. It's a bridge to these relationships with people who don't know the Lord or really anyone, even as we're walking with people who do know Jesus. Um, this is a, a superpower. This is not an inhibitor. Uh, we look at verses 6 through 11 here. We learn that Jesus is wearied from his journey. Jesus is wearied from his journey like her. This woman is weary. He is thirsty. She is thirsty. He is alone because his disciples have gone off to buy food. She is alone for other reasons. But here we just have two people at this well who are lonely, tired, and thirsty. You know, the way that we often, the way that I often think about 
evangelism or discipleship is that I have to show up at this well pretending that like I'm superhuman, that I don't ever get tired, that I don't ever get thirsty because I have this false understanding of what it is to be in Christ and, and to belong to him and to have him working in my life. It, I, I start to somehow think that it means that I'm sinless and that I actually have all my needs met and everything in life is, is happy and goes according to plan. And that's false. And when I, when I live out of that lie, I can't draw people to Jesus because that's not where he is. And that, cause he lives in reality. That's fantasy. And so Jesus, by making himself, by being honest and revealing his vulnerabilities to this woman, he is building a bridge that now whatever he says, there's some connection there because of their humanity that he knows what her life is like. Even though he hasn't lived her exact life, he knows what life is like in this world. And you get tired, and you get thirsty, and you are lonely. Verse 11 says, The woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Or sorry, um, verse Verse 10, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What Jesus is saying there is the truth, is that you and I are both tired and thirsty and lonely. And the only difference between me and you is God, is his presence. And for us, we would say the only difference between us is the presence of Jesus in my life. And the love that he is giving me that I'm experiencing, the way that he is transforming me, um, that's not something that you have experienced yet. We're bo- we can both be tired and weary by this life because everyone will be. And I'm also experiencing something different in addition to that. And that's what I want you to experience because I love you. And what Jesus begins to say to her is, is probably also blowing her mind because he is a Jewish man and she is a Samaritan woman. And she's sitting here thinking, wow, this guy must be really low if he's talking to me and if he wants to drink after me. And we're like, yeah, you don't even know the half of how low he is going to go because of his love for you. And so then Jesus begins to share when the time is appropriate, these next few verses, verses 11 through 15. And I want us to see that evangelism and discipleship are not this formulaic one size fits all where I do all the talking. It is responsive to the person that is in front of me. It is specific to the person that is in front of me and the questions that they are asking and the things that they are experiencing and the things that they are feeling and it is dignifying. I'm not rolling over someone with some pre-programmed speech. I'm not a door-to-door salesman who is just trying to get you to shut up long enough for me to give you the pitch. That's not how God works. So we see Jesus is tailoring his sharing of God's love for this woman to her life experience, to her felt needs. We're here because we're thirsty, so let me put it to you in terms of thirst and quenching of that thirst. But it could be anything. But here, it's thirst. And Jesus is saying, 
Um, if you knew who was asking you to give you a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That phrase living water is actually a double meaning because in, in this context, living water means running water. So he's, he, she doesn't know yet that he's talking about the living water that we first think of because we've heard this story before or we've read scripture, but she's hearing him and he's like, Hey, there's actually a water source, uh, that is fresh running water where you don't have to come back to this well. And so now her interest is peaked and she's saying, um, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm interested. But if Jesus said this, like if he says what he says in verse 10 and says, yeah, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said, that's weird and walked off. He's not going to go follow her, right? Because he respects her. And so if someone ceases to be interested then he would have just stopped because it's not time. The person is not ready, but she doesn't. She engages with him and she says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And then this question, are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. What she's saying is Jacob, who would later be renamed by God, Israel, like, he obviously was a very important person to God and very uh, important person to this, this whole religion that we're a part of. Um, he had to dig out a well because he couldn't find any running water here. Are you telling me that you are somehow greater than him? That everyone in history ever since him had to come to this well because there was no living water around? Are you telling me that you have some kind of ability or, or secret knowledge that he doesn't have? And of course, the answer is yes, he does. He has news that she doesn't know. And that's true for us as we're out in the world. It's like, hey, we're all living like this because this is the best we know how. This is what we have. This is what we've been passed down to by our families. This is what we've been passed down to by the cultural moment that we're in. This is the best way that we know how to live life. It still feels empty. It doesn't satisfy. And we keep chasing these things that we think are going to give us life, even though we know they're not. But we don't have anything else to chase. So that's why we live life like this. And are you here to tell me that there's something better than this? And we're like, yes. But not in arrogance, in love. Say, yes. Because someone told me that. And it's true. And I'm living out of this truth now. And I, I want this for you. But I'm not ramming this down your throat. I'm not forcing this on you. You know, I have conversations with people a lot of times who are Christians and they feel guilty because they're not sharing the gospel at the moment that they find out with every person who's not a Christian. I'm like, man, thank God you're not. Because that would get real ugly real fast. And just weird and all the things that we said about door-to-door sales, it would be all those things. It'd be very uh, off-putting and very devoid of the, the presence of the Spirit of God who even makes any of this possible. So Jesus is, is very dignifying to this woman, and he is responding to this woman. And you know what? He's not just respecting her. He's respecting the gospel because he tells us in Matthew 7, 6, do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. And what he's saying there is the gospel is so precious. This truth of God's love and, the, and, and how 
precious and invaluable it is that was purchased by his blood, this is not to be just paraded out in the street and stomped on. If someone is not ready for this, you don't share it because it's too precious. Now, that's something we don't often hear when we're talking about evangelism. But it's true. You'll know because you're being responsive to the Spirit and you're being responsive to the other person. And if they're just mocking everything, then it's not time. But if they start to be hungry and lean in and they're asking questions, oh, that's, that's hard to believe. Like, what, what would you say about this? Then it's like, okay, let's go. Let's talk. Let's, let's keep moving down this road. But it all depends, again, on being responsive to the Spirit and being responsive to the person that is sitting in front of us. And so now, at this point in the story, we're going to sort of transition our focus from Jesus to the woman. We're going to flip our attention, and we're going to see uh, the kind of responses that even those of us in Christ, when we forget the truth of the gospel, the way that we start to live, and for those who've never met Jesus, what's going on in our minds and hearts in this moment. So starting in verse 16, um, what Jesus is, is getting across is um, getting rid of this false belief that we are uh, victims of our circumstances only. And he's saying, you know what? I'm not making light of the pain that you've experienced at the hands of other people, but that's not your main problem. That's not anyone's main problem. Your circumstances are never your main issue, and they're never the thing that separate you from God, because that separation from God is the main issue. And the thing that separates every human, whether you're a Samaritan woman or a Jewish man, the only thing that separates us from God is our sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your sins have made a separation between you and God. So it is my sin that is separating me from the one who is life. It is my sin that is separating me from the one who is love. And I was made for community. I was made for love. And so the one that I was made for, the only way I can access those things is by being united and reconciled to the God who made me, who is those things. And so we have to get to that point. And that's what Jesus is doing when he says, hey, go call your husband. And I'll, you know, I just love that. And she's still trying to play cool. She's like, yeah, I actually don't have one, so let's keep talking. And he's like, ah, yeah, you don't, because you're just living with this guy, and you've had five. And she's like, Ugh. okay, uh, and where does she go from there? She tries to go to religion. She's thinking, well, okay, if God knows this about me, then there's no way that he really wants to have a deep relationship with me. So let's just both settle for this arm's length transactional religious relationship. Okay, so he knows the depths of my sin. Okay, so uh, how about this? Um, I know you're a prophet, and uh, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say Jerusalem's the place where people ought to worship. So let's talk about that theological question. Like, just give me some, like, religious things to do. Should I read my Bible? Should I just come to church on Sundays? Like, what are the things that I need to do to be okay with God? And thank God, Jesus does not allow her to stay there. What a low view of self, right? Which is understandable. Like, when we become aware of the depths of our sin, it's understandable. But what a low view of self to think that I could actually 
keep walking through life at this shallow religious transactional relationship with God, believing that that's going to actually be okay, that that's going to make things livable. And it's not because we were made for so much more than that. But more so, what a low view of God, that God wants that garbage, that God wants this shallow, false relationship where our hearts are everywhere but with him. Well, just as long as you're putting money in the offering plate and you're filling up the seats, that's, you just say the right things. That's what I care about. Like, what a low view of God. So what Jesus comes to tell her is what he has come to tell each one of us. You need to listen to me. That question is not the question that you need to be concerned about right now. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. What he's saying is true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit because it's from the heart. It's honest. It's real. It's what you really think, what you really want. It's your whole person. It's what you really desire. And that's what he's interested in. He's interested in your heart. He's not interested primarily in you memorizing scripture or serving the poor or giving money to the church. He's interested in your heart because he wants a deep relationship deeper than a solid marriage, deeper than best friends, deeper than the healthiest father-son relationship or mother-daughter relationship. He is looking for the deepest unity and communion with every person that he is calling to himself. And he's looking for worshipers to worship him in truth because he really is a real person. He is one real God who has revealed himself through his word and through Jesus. And it's not choose your own adventure. It's not decide, you know, a customizable spirituality. It is a real God with real preferences, just like us. He is a personal being. And he's saying, if you want to have a relationship with me, you've got to really know me. You can't just make things up about me that you like and say, well, yeah, God likes this stuff, and so I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. No, this is what it means to really know me and worship me is to want this from your heart and to do it in accordance with what is actually true, that is objectively true about who I am and how I operate in the world and what I've invited you into and called you to in obedience. And then Jesus says this, how will this happen? True worshipers worshiping God in spirit and truth. How is that going to happen? Jesus says the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That word seeking is, is very helpful in seeing what's happening here. What that word means in the Greek, to seek in this way, is to desire something, like looking for something, but also making sure that you will find it. Making sure that it will happen. That is the heart of the Father is he is desiring true worshipers and he's not sitting there just hoping that he finds some. He is going out and making it happen by sending Jesus in the flesh to come down into our mess, into our sin, into this broken world, into all of our rebellion against him, and he is going out to specific people. Jesus is not just going to humanity and like, well, if we can just get some, I'll be satisfied with that. He is calling specific men, women, and children to himself because they belong to him. 
And he's saying, I am coming at infinite cost. There is nothing that can keep me from you. And I'm seeking you just like he is about to, dis- he's about to uh, reveal to this woman that it's happening right now. The whole reason I'm here at this well having a conversation with this one person is because you are precious to me. It's because you are precious to the Father. And it is worth me coming to this well for one person because you are one of the people that the Father is calling to be a true worshiper. And so that is why Jesus is here. And that is why he's come for all of us. That is the gospel. That's the good news of God's love for us in Jesus, is that Jesus left heaven and came and took our sin onto himself, suffered and died in our place, so that we could be free and be reconciled to God, so that we could be true worshipers of God forever and enjoy that unity and that communion with him forever. That is what God is doing and then we see the, the last hurdle that Jesus has to cross with her in verses 25 and 26 is um, waiting till tomorrow. She says, uh, okay, I hear you, but you know what? I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he, when he comes, he'll tell us everything that we need to know. Maybe I'll just wait. And what Jesus is saying to this woman is the same thing that he's saying to every one of us. No. No. Tomorrow is a lie because tomorrow may not come. The time is now. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is coming. I'm the one who's standing in front of you telling you these things. The time is now. And that's what he's saying to us now through me preaching this sermon, through the way that we go out into the lives of people around us and share the gospel. The time is not tomorrow. The time is today. The time is right now because there will never be a better time. It is either this is true about God and he's inviting me into a relationship with him through Jesus or he's not. But if he is, then the way and the time for me to respond is right now with my full self. And she does. Verses 28 through 30, this woman is now a vessel. She is carrying Jesus with her because everyone who's in Christ has the Holy Spirit. The very spirit of Jesus is living in her. So she is now immediately qualified for gospel ministry. She is immediately qualified to enter into evangelism and discipleship interactions and relationships with people in her life. And that's exactly what she does. She runs to the town full of the Holy Spirit, full of the love of God. And she says, everybody come and see this man who knows everything about me. He knows me fully and loves me more completely than I could have ever imagined another person could love me. And I want you all to know that. So is God calling all of us to run through the streets of Nashville and yell this out to people? No. Is he calling some of us? Maybe. I don't know. You just got to listen and see if he does. But what he's calling us to is to live life this way, is that there is nothing keeping me from sharing the love of Jesus with anyone in my life. Now, what we see here is this full story all play out in one piece. And he does that sometimes. But what he does a lot of times is this is broken up. This story plays out over weeks or months or years in a relationship with another person. And so it's just me living my life with this intentionality to say, I really want to be a part of this. And I know that I am and can be a part of this because of what he's done in me and because the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in me. So it's me, like Jesus, the beginning of this story, just being available. 
And now what's true about Jesus is also true about this woman, is also true about anyone who's in Christ, is what Jesus says in verse 34 through 36. The disciples came back and they said, hey, you need to just stop this for a second and eat this food because you haven't eaten in a while. And Jesus is like, look, this is my food. Like I can, I can hold off for a little bit longer because this is the very thing I came for. Like to, to share the love of God with this woman, I'll wait and just eat a bigger dinner later. Like I don't need food right now. I need to be engaged in this conversation because of what God is doing and because of the, what this is going to do to this woman's life. It is going to absolutely transform this lonely, tired, thirsty woman. And she's now going to have community and she's going to be full and she's going to have the love of God dwelling in her. So no, thank you. But like, we'll just, I'll eat it cold later. And y'all, that's, that's the mission that we've been called to with Jesus. But that's also why our vision is what it is at Midtown West. We are on adventure with Jesus to be set free, that this is a continual process that's happening in us, to set others free, to join Jesus on this mission, just like he's doing here, and to enjoy that freedom together. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together that we all get to go out into this world together with this message, with the love of Jesus for the people that he's already put in our lives. We don't have to necessarily go to any new places. The places he's already put us, the relationships he's already given us. And y'all, can you imagine this vision, the vision of Midtown West, which is a, just a restatement and contextualization of the mission of God that Jesus reveals in Matthew's gospel. Can you imagine watching that take place here in Nashville in 2023, that the two to 300 people who call this place home would own this and live out of this and all those misconceptions about what evangelism and discipleship is are just dashed and out of the way so that we can enjoy the spiritual food that is following our Father on this mission. And to watch him bring people from death to life and to see this place get bigger, not because people are coming from other churches where they weren't happy with the programming, but because they didn't even know this existed. And they were lonely, and they were lost, and they didn't know what to live for. And they're like, we're all just drinking from Jacob's well because that's all we know, man. But now you know something different, and it transforms everything. And that's it. I mean, all the things that we worry about every day, every week, those things aren't unimportant, but that's not life. You know, our jobs, our families, our relationships, paying the bills, all these things, we got to do those things. But this, this lasts. This is where life is. This is the mission. This is the reason we're still on this earth. And that's my, that's my prayer for us is that we would get to experience this together. We would enjoy this together. Um, so our prompt for this week is kind of a two-parter. Um, in evangelism, I don't know what this is because it all depends on what Jesus is doing and calling you into. So we'll just call it taking an intentional step towards someone who does not know the Lord, who's in your life. 
Whether if you've already had a robust relationship with that person, maybe it's saying, hey, you know what? We've been friends for three years. I've never heard anything about your spiritual journey. What's that been like for you? Or maybe if it's someone you just met, maybe it's learning their name and getting to know them. Or maybe it's inviting them to spend time together. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit will tell you. And then in discipleship, it's asking either someone to disciple you, if you feel led to do that, if that's something that you're not experiencing and you feel called into, um, or it's inviting someone into a discipleship relationship. And with both of those things, we will help you. Um, I've got this sign-up sheet here that I'm going to leave up front um, at the end of the service. And someone told me the other week, hey, going up to a sign-up sheet is actually really hard for introverts. I'm like, okay, I get it. You can also email us. Um, but either way, um, you can just say, hey, I'm interested in learning more, like how to invite someone into discipleship or um, how could I, like what does that look like for me to ask someone, like would you spend time with me and help me follow Jesus? So um, if you would just let us know um, and we, we want you to experience that. And now we get to experience the second sacrament. Um, we get to experience communion where Jesus gives us this sign and seal. Um, the night that he was betrayed, he called his disciples to him. They were feasting in the upper room, the Passover feast. And he said, hey, this Passover feast that we've celebrated forever uh, as, as the people of God, this has always actually been pointing to me. And what I'm about to do by going to the cross is my body is going to be broken like this bread. And uh, you need to feast on my broken body because it's not about you getting better or doing better. It's about you depending on me and letting me be your salvation and me be your life. And this wine that's poured out is not the cup of God's wrath that you deserve, but because of my blood that's poured out, it's actually the cup of the wedding feast. And it is a preview of what's to come, which is your full union with God forever. And the reason we're not talking about the sacrificial lamb is because I'm actually a sacrificial lamb. And I'm going to the cross for you because I love you and because the Father loves you and he sent me. And he says, I want you to celebrate this meal until I return. And so that's why we do this. And this meal is a meal that is our spiritual food. It strengthens us, it nourishes us. He meets us in a unique way in this meal. And so this meal is for everyone who knows that they are a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus is the only savior. And if that's you, whether you're coming for the first time or coming for the thousandth time, come and taste and see that the Lord is good and that he loves you and be strengthened by his love. And the way we're going to do that today is through these community tables. So if you'll come up, uh, we have uh, gluten-free bread. So if you need that, let us know. Uh, but just come, uh, come around this table, try to pack in as much as you can. And uh, we'd love to serve you the elements when you're ready and you can go back to your seat.